Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Art Tenders with Mac and Dan. I am Dan, he is Mac. Hello! And this time, we are discussing a movie that came out in 2012. It is a movie called The Master, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, the best way I can describe this movie is that it's less about the plot and the narrative, and it's more <laughs> about uh, the character character relationship. Um, it's not much Hawking story Phoenix's there, but... no, not at all, not at all. It's um, well, because when you think about the story, you're like, okay, things happen, but it's so obvious that the story takes a backseat the entire time. Oh, um, yeah. well, it, it's but, very but before before before. Oh. I'm sorry that I have to. No, go ahead, get go ahead, you, go ahead. It's but it's tied between Joaquin Phoenix's Freddy, uh, who is an ex-Navy uh, drunk after the Second World War. Yeah. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's character named Lancaster, um, but he's referred to as the master uh, frequently in this film, where he is the leader of this group called The Cause. And the idea of The Cause is that it's... It's the same idea as sort of like reincarnation where we have lived multiple lives, but in this case, we can get in touch with our past lives. And that is the sort of uh, following that he has. And the movie kind of chronicles the relationship and the ups and the downs, per se, between these two individuals. Now, I'm so sorry to cut no, you off, no. Mac. As you were saying... It's very it's very A24. Um it feels a lot. I mean, we 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 already reviewed a an A twenty four movie on this, uh, on this podcast, the Florida Project, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And, uh, I I believe we've talked about the last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, I, we may have mentioned it, but we haven't. Uh, we have not discussed it. Right. Um. So, it felt extremely a24 to me at least just like a24 with with a, with a bigger budget that's what it felt like um and that made for uh yeah it, it was very funny this, this you're right the story was definitely backseat um w- one thing that I, I'm, I'm just gonna dive like i mean into the meat by all means um the, the thing that kept me coming back to this movie and that i was like really excited about that made me laugh so much consistently um and we're getting personal here uh this is kind of what my sister is going through right now go on or should i not have you go on uh you go on however you're comfortable what do you you think i'm about to say uh, I imagine that your sister is having a Freddie Quell situation, um, probably not as um, dramatic um, in the sense of she's probably not uh, concocting potions made of uh, various forms of alcohol, medicine, and paint skinner. Um, or paint thinner, I should paint say. Paint skinner <laughs> used to skin people. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, but it may as well be because that's yeah. what this character does. But, but yeah. I mean, he does... Well, he gets roped in to this group yeah. in a way, right? It never felt like he was forced to stay. Yeah. Um, but it was always that sort of it's the same idea where, you know, you give an animal some food and that animal is going to come back the next day. And that's how cults get you, Danny, is that they're always like, no, 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 you can leave whenever you want. Yeah. But they, they, they just they just keep selling. And, and the reason that you came in the first place – 
is never not uh is, is, is never not present um it it the movie reminded me a lot of a um of this Jordan Peterson lecture. There's a guy named Jordan Peterson. He's a right. therapist and he talks a lot about like masculinity or whatever. And in his teachings, he goes on nonstop about how a lot of depressed young men are depressed or have a hard time or have no motivation or have anxiety, or whatever their problem may be. Most of the time their block is that they don't have purpose. Is that they don't feel mm-hmm. like they have purpose. So once they're given a job or once they're given a duty that they must uphold to make society better, that they're, that they're dependent upon, then a lot of their problems go away. Yeah. Because that's where their problems come back to for the most part. Um, and it felt a lot like that. That was super Freddie Quell. Um, and... That's kind of a little bit what my sister's going through right now. Not there's not like a specific group of people or anything because I mean it's it's COVID. They're not going to be meeting necessarily. Well, I guess cults would probably meet. COVID's not stopping cults, but anyway, we don't know. There are things happening. God knows. God well or whoever they believe knows. Um, and uh, and so yeah, she, she she's kind of a little bit creeping into that area of things. It, um, not necessarily cult but she is listening to a very new set of like thought leaders and religious leaders um it is it coins itself the next great awakening which is scary um it is and she does but and the part that i started laughing the hardest is that she does wholeheartedly believe in uh reincarnation um, mm-hmm. And that that's that's a huge part of what she's been buying into recently is the idea, and of that's a part in multiple religions too. Yeah, like it's not that, that's it's not, not a, cult a sort thing. of newfound concept, yeah, right? No, I mean, like no. a big thing. That's is, very common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a fundamental part of Hinduism, right? For and, example, and, and so one thing that they were talking about in the movie is that like one of the hecklers comes and um and starts questioning the master, and he's like, yeah. so. You, you know, he's, you've, you've, um, so humans have been around for, for how long? And then Philip Seymour Hoffman's like trillions of years. He's like, it's weird because scientists think that the planet's only been around for billions. Um, and then he's like, well, sometimes scientists are wrong, like that whole thing. How, what my sister is buying into, how they have worked their way around that is that they can also, they've lived past lives, but because there's life on, intelligent life on other planets, and in different galaxies, we are on the same spiritual plane. So her past lives... Exactly. So her past lives sometimes have taken place, she claims, on other planets. Now it's like, oh, okay. Which, the more she talks about it, the more I'm like, do your thing. And I... um, It hasn't been dangerous. Like, she hasn't been pretty quick. Because, like, the... uh, the, the the tough thing about cults and the tough thing of like in in Wild Wild Country, which is a, another cult documentary series, um, right. in Jonestown, in, uh, in in any Nazi documentary that you'll find, um, well, I'll excuse the Nazis. I'll definitely but the excuse ones the Nazis. that come to mind at first, the most iconic. Ones. I mean, like Jonestown is a perfect example. Like when I think of a cult, I think of Jim Jones. Right, right. The foundation isn't necessarily the bad part. It gets bad whenever. Um, people exploit power or whenever 
uh, or whenever members take it too far. So like with Wild and that's Wild not Wild. even exclusive to Colts. I mean, we, exactly. we just see that in Colts because it feels the most obvious, right? right? Where that's where the the sort of veils that they have are very very thin. Yeah. So it's it's much easier to see that sort of corruption of power. At, um, subtweet at real Donald J Trump. Um, the I, I'm not trying to get political, but I'm sorry. It's it's it, that that's the most obvious example, right? Is that it's it's not a problem until people exploit power or members take it too far. Um, but it, but you're right. It's it's across the board. It's it's everyone. Yeah, and he's not exclusive in that. There no, no. Yeah, you can yeah. go for you can go for the Bernie Bros as well. Um, the so but 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 I mean and and like in Wild Wild Country for instance with um uh with 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 that cult um it was not a problem until the members started taking it far too seriously and like killing senators um. Mm-hmm. And in Jonestown, it wasn't a problem until Jim Jones steps in and is like, okay, everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid. We're all going down. Um, Like, there are red flags, but nothing specifically bad or illegal necessarily is happening until we hit that precipice. And I I think that that is a beautiful concept for a movie because how have have there not been more cult movies? They're playing documentaries, but how have there not been more cult movies that's the such... wicker man what's that midsummer oh midsummer right all right but what's the wicker man <laughs> i mean but those are the only two that i can think of uh wicker man was an older movie i couldn't tell you what year uh. it came out and then there was a remake with nicholas cage in the 2000s which is awful um right. but in terms of cult movies uh those are the only ones that come to mind yeah. at the present moment it's it's not something that's delved into right which is crazy often, yeah because it is a dramatic hotbed no matter what choice you make, it's an interesting one. It's cults. It's crazy. It's 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 yeah. fascinating. So like, if they don't do anything, it's interesting that you're showing a cult that doesn't like that's super tame. It's interesting if you show a cult, obviously, that goes far off the deep end or or whatever. But the, but these are also like movies that um are very I don't want to say obvious um but they I mean you look at it and you're like oh that's a cult right where I mean we could probably list off a bunch of movies that if we really sat down and thought about it, exhibit, you know, group environments that have a cultish behavior. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like Wolf of Wall Street. Sure. I think is a good example. That's a right? great like, example, Danny. None of that movie is a cult, right? Um, But Jordan Belfort has this cult following, and he is much like a cult leader. Yeah. That there is you know, a vacuum of power, he takes it to the utmost potential. And sometimes that's just what human nature is, just, yeah. you know, capitalizing on potential. Um, But it's what he does with that potential. Yeah. Uh, and, and the people that follow him and what he does with that power. Have you ever seen that guy talk in, in, in real life, Jordan Belfort? No, but you know who I have seen talk? Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie. I mean, so good of a performance. What a rap back. I hate you. <laughs> it was um, awful. Please don't no, commend no, me no, for that. Um, Cue failure sound. You, you, were ta- you, you were talking a little bit earlier about, uh, like, um, uh, well, okay, so, so the, the, the summary of, of the last chunk, there's no such thing as a, as a boring cult story. Um, yeah. But you're talking about time a little bit. Um, and, and era, uh, like quite, quite a bit ago. And mm. what's, 
um, that was another really, really interesting part of the movie is that it didn't feel that dramatic. Like it kind of, st- it, it, like it had like a 19, because it took place in 1950. It had that 1950s like coming of age vibe almost. In a way. It felt, and I don't, I mean, obviously like Joaquin Phoenix is like the stand by me 1950s going of age guy, but um but yeah, <laughs> forgot about that one, huh? But yeah. yeah um, also, like that the wasn't music. Joaquin Phoenix. It's a big, big failure on your part. That's River Phoenix in Stand By Me. Failure. Shit. <laughs> I thought. Okay, can I tell you? Can I? Can I be honest? I Please. thought they were both in Stand By Me. No. It's not that I. Th- I thought it would like I'm switched. It's that I thought they were both in Stand By Me. No, I'm so sorry uh, to inform you how <laughs> oh, wrong no. you were. Well, because I thought you were just using it as a phrase at first. That's why I didn't say anything. And I'm like, wait, no, he was no, referencing the movie. Phoenix, right. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, um, I, how do I, think I have a big any credibility reason, anymore? Oh, go ahead, Danny. <laughs> I think a big reason why um, we felt, because I, I, I felt that way too, where uh, it wasn't really dramatic in the sense of because we never was like we never were really super duper concerned for characters right even yeah. though the acting was superb and the writing was really clever and well done and nuanced um i i felt like none of the scenes felt dramatic because oh it felt dramatic in terms of like the viewer experiencing it like the plenty of the scenes i would i mean most scenes were dramatic right i mean you think of the scene where uh Freddie and the master are sitting down talking over the microphone and the master is asking him multiple questions and Freddie has to keep his eyes from blinking like that's in a it like in terms of like scene work absolutely incredible and would you consider that a dramatic scene absolutely right but it's it's I, I you don't get a bunch of I guess emotional payoff from this movie if you have no sort of relation to any sort of sub- subject matter that this movie uh, throws at you. Um, I'm, you know, there are movies out there where you can feel so, <laughs> right? Like such a good example is like Parasite, right? And I've, but Big I've time. never been in that situation, right? Or something like more post-apocalyptic, like Snowpiercer. I know I just listed two movies from the same director, um, but like. I could never relate to those characters, but you can still feel like you can feel the tension, right? As opposed to the tension in this movie, because like Freddy's not like Freddy's not likable. You're Agreed. not. I don't think you're supposed yeah. to like Freddy. No. Um, which I, but honestly, I think it aids in this film because it has you watch him so much more and observe him so much more yeah as opposed to empathize with him right that like the point of empathy that gets drawn out from freddie's character that you may feel for is a couple of things the fact that he came back home as a soldier and there's i mean there are multiple movies that visit this um but there's a sense of like disillusionment that nothing is as it seems and just like coming back to a normal life doesn't feel right and then you know of course then there's also like the drinking issue right um which i'm you know there are people definitely that deal with that and then 
as you mentioned at the very beginning of this, this sense of a lack of purpose. And it's so obvious that Freddie needs that and that um, even though there's a girl back home, you know, he thinks there's a girl back home waiting for him. Like he feels even polarized from that, that he can't go back home. It's a combination of all those things that feel like they should be empathetic, but because of how all those all, all those things combine into Freddie Quell's character, it's hard to really feel for him because it's just mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that uh, this movie does that feels very A24 is uh, they treat scenes um, and settings and setups and transitions almost as if like, we're just going to show you what we need to show you, and that's that. But as viewers, we have been taught since we were kids that setting matters, introduction matters, setup matters. And so how much of – I mean, because whether, um, whether or not that's appropriate or works is a different conversation. But how much of the movie would you say percentage-wise was spent trying to figure out what was – uh, what was happening? What was going on in, fr- in, in front of you? I mean, it's, I watched this movie two times, right? I watched it a few weeks ago, and I watched it uh, a couple of days ago in preparation for this podcast. Um, And so things definitely felt clearer on the second viewing. But even then, it, it didn't really... Mind you, I was able to piece together more on the second viewing. But in the first viewing, it never felt like I was missing crucial information right that i got i still got everything that i needed in that first viewing that i didn't have to go back and be like wait a second wait a second wait a second you know because i I feel like still in the first viewing i was still looking at the character relationship like it was what was driving the viewer to look at um but there i mean no i mean there wasn't a moment where i felt lost that the setting, the setting of scenes felt rushed or misplaced. Uh, I, I thought it was all tastefully done because I mean, now that you're mentioning it, it's the first time that I'm thinking about. It. I haven't, I haven't cast a thought into how they were doing, you know, the setting of scenes. That's great. But I think that alone is a testament to them doing it well. Did you have a different experience um, in that regard? Uh, I, I, I mean. There was never really like an, an issue necessarily. It was just kind of weird because it was it was not what I was used to. Like I'm used to establishing shots whenever you're changing settings, um, like s- really understanding where I am before I go there. I'm used to um, uh, like introductory lines, like not starting in the middle of sentences or thoughts or conversations, but. Right. But, but like even whenever it, it, we do start in the middle of a conversation, there is at least like a couple lines that don't actually mean anything before we start talking about what we actually want to talk about, you know, just to make you feel like we've started in the middle of a conversation. But, right. um, but this movie really did not give a shit at all about uh, establishing shots, about where we were, about – um, about easing you into anything. They just went straight for the cut. They were just like, boom, 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 all, all, all the time. Do you have a few specific examples in that regard? Because even then, like, I still felt like this movie did a very good job in sort of 
like still setting the space, setting the scene, and even setting the time, um, but never just like force feeding it to you. I mean, you see so many films that you know, Russia, Chicago, Florida. It's just a bunch of those, right? So was there <laughs> right, right? Was you, there like a specific moment that you're thinking of that that you cast your mind towards that uh-huh. you maybe you were able to piece together a scene, but you know, it never really told you, but it aided the yeah. experience of the film. The um the first. I, I, I'd say the first, like, uh, 10 to 20 minutes felt... I know that was a very large interval, 10 whole minutes. Um, yes. But it felt like... Oh, this is going to sound so weird. It felt like a montage. It felt like the slowest and longest montage I've ever seen. Does that make any sense? But you got the character. You got Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah. And, and And usually it's like for maybe like a minute or a minute and a half, we see him like faced with weird circumstances or like weird situations. But, and it did that just over the course of like 15 minutes. Um, I mean, the first line in this movie, and I think it perfectly represents Freddie, how he starts out in the film. The first words he says, and I wrote it down because it's great. Want to know how to get rid of crabs? Yeah. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god and you know what's funny i totally forgot about that so like um and, and not in a bad way but like for instance whenever he whenever we see him working uh like taking the guy's headshot in the mall whenever right. we see him on the cabbage farm um that was all just like what what, what? i think i missed something but i didn't i was just like we're just we're just here now or for instance later on whenever um uh they're at laura dern's house and mm-hmm. Laura and like Laura Dern's talking, and I'm like, holy shit, that's Laura Dern. And I don't even have a moment to say to myself, holy shit, that's Laura Dern, before Rami Malek's wife is like feeling him up. And I'm like, this happened. Where are we? What what's happening? I'm. We have dove into something, and I'm kind of. You didn't give me any time for this. Um, which was. Not, I'm. I'm not necessarily saying it as a bash or as a as a critique. It's. It's more. Um. It was just jarring to me, I guess. I, I, I wasn't, I'm not used to that, I guess. Um, but I, This I, movie, you know, it doesn't waste its time, no. I feel like, but because everything is meticulous and you might say, oh, like the cabbage farm scene, like that was a waste of time. But no, I, like, I, I think we just get a little bit of a slice yeah. of a character and you're like, okay, you know, you put it, you put it in your Rolodex of information that you have for this individual, and you're like, okay, so this is at its core, like this is fundamentally this person. And I will say, even though the montage was like was was so long, the funniest thing is, is that like at the end of the day, you have t- already told me heaps about this character in just the one minute that it takes. For him to be sitting down, pouring everyone drinks, and then he sees the guy at the cabbage farm and says, what's your name? Tells him Frank. He's like, Frank, you look like my dad. And then Frank's dead. Um, that's. I did have that thought too, yes. Th- I was like, that's, that is a fantastic setup. That is, that is so well done and super smart because that's a really hard thing as a writer. Um, Right. To be like, how, okay, how do I teach the audience about this character as fast as I possibly can? 
and that's it. That's awesome. Yeah, that that's always that's always such a weird hurdle to cross. When we get back, we'll try to look at what this movie is at the core. Try, try. Oh god. And welcome back to the Art Tenders with Mac and Dan. And in the last part, I teased that we we're going to discuss the core of this film. And I know that we kind of already have, right? I mean, we we discussed, you know, inherently that this is a film that examines a cult and this uh, essentially broken individual's relationship with said cult, right? Um, but I wanted to read to you some points brought up uh, by a journalist, by an author by the name of Bilga Abiri, I hope I pronounced that right, uh, from The Vulture. Uh, and he examined, you know, so like, what is the master about? Right? Because when you watch this movie, and maybe even when you're in the middle of it, you can sit there thinking to yourself, okay, this mo- movie's good. I can tell this movie's good, but what is this movie about? And sure. so if you don't, I mean, but it's like interpretational, right? Yeah. Um, and so Mr. Abiri mentions five different ways to interpret this movie. And I I think we already gotten a hint of what resonated with <clears throat> Oh wow, and I cleared my throat into the microphone. That's a fine. I wanted to examine with you, um, and see what resonated with you, even though you already kinda of said that in the previous part. Um, but but just to look at the potential of how one could interpret this movie. And I love countdowns, even though it's in no particular order. Number one, search for family and stability. Number two, cult politics. Number three, doubles, as in like foils and parallels and character. Number four, post-war dissatisfaction. And number five, acting. Just acting. good old acting. That's hilarious. I think the movie is definitely all of these things, but what drove me to select this movie for this podcast, uh, and I mentioned it in our previous episode, uh, I can't even remember what the heck we were reviewing last time. Oh my god, everything is just a blur. No, I can't. What were we looking at last week? Uh, Oh. Wow, we suck. Lovecraft Country. Thank God. Okay. I mean, it was good. I don't know why. I just it was fantastic. It. I was thinking about it earlier, too. It's just after after 20 episodes. This is That's the great. 20th episode. <laughs> All right. Anyways, what drew me to this movie and why I picked it is because only a few weeks ago, we discussed the show Berserk, and it primarily follows really three characters, but really two characters. Um guts and griffith and they're just complete foils from one another but it's it's not like foils in the sense of let's say like tybalt and benvolio you know to to bring up a shakespearean reference but this is a foil that brings these two characters together it's the yin and the yang it's the north and the south poles and so that is what drew me to Berserk, and that is what drew me to this movie. And so what really resonated in me with this movie is just looking at the relationship uh, between those two characters and how each character serves the other, right? And we see some of the outcomes of that, too. I think an example is with Lancaster Dodds, uh, that character, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, the master, both 
you know, the character. The master of and, acting. Uh, the right. master. Yes. <laughs> um, it's actually a really interesting scene because, so, Freddie Quell, Joaquin Phoenix's character, is not incapacitated, but he is, like, very, very drunk during this sort of dance party that's being held at Laura Dern's house. It's not actually Laura Dern. Uh, her character name is Helen. But Laura Dern's house. And it's interesting because Amy Adams, who's in this movie? Uh, Amy Adams is uh, Peggy, who is the wife to Philip Seymour's uh, Lancaster. Kind of just notices and just watches Freddy and puts it together that, oh, Freddy's drunk. Wait a second. Okay, there is this sort of like relationship between um, Freddy and Lancaster. Not, I mean, nothing more than platonic, but there is a sort of relationship that like it feels really close for some reason. And she's able to put together that like she goes up to Lancaster later on and more or less is like get this stuff out of your head and is sort of like get this pollution out of your mind and seeing, you know, Freddy's impact on Lancaster's character as well as, and this is also tied in with My Sizzle Serve as, uh, because, well, I mean, you're gonna hear it, you're gonna hear it. Facts. You see it in the scene where Freddy goes back home, tries to see Doris, his long-lost love, uh, whom he couldn't be with for both because he got a job and also that took him abroad and also she was under 18. So, but, that you know, that's a can of worms, obviously. Um, but my civil serve is the fact that that is the best scene in this movie. I think even when you look at the Amy scene Adams? where... It, it's no it, the the best scene in this movie in my opinion which is my social serve is when freddie goes back home tries to find doris but instead it's just her, uh her mother that's yeah. home and it has a conversation with her but you see it at least i particularly saw him in my second viewing but you see sort of lancaster's influence onto freddie that both it's super interesting because i feel like he gave freddie both more purpose and then such a lack of purpose um and and, and we kind of see it when freddie and lancaster meet up again at the very end of the film freddie looks sick he looks sick yeah and it's i mean it's it's very much so i mean like a drug right where freddie was on this drug quote unquote and he is coming off of it and it's you know it's you know the right thing to do right but it's making a wear and a tear on his body so we see that as an audience and so i but i'm just particularly tied to this scene um because we see freddy kind of like for the first time in this film really make something for himself per se like everything else he's just trying to do what society is having him do right being a cameraman at the beginning being a cabbage farmer like he's just doing that to survive right where he is freed from the bond of lancaster and he goes back home and tries to find doris 
And this is like seven years after he's seen her too. And he goes back home. And, I mean, but, but that was from his own choice, right? Like nobody told him to go back home. And nobody was forcing, and, and culture and society was not forcing upon him to go back home to try to find this girl, right? So, And that's what I think makes it seem so beautiful tied along with the fact of I've I've always enjoyed this sort of not it's not it's not nihilistic but that sort of realization of oh that's right we're so small you know the world keeps revolving uh, and it's certainly not around us and I, I think Freddie like really realizes it in that moment of course I think it's also what brings him back to Lancaster at the very end sure but sure. it's I mean, that's what drew me to this movie the most is the sense of how strong of a foil those two were. Mind you, I mean, the movie structurally is much more about Freddy than it is about Lancaster, about the master. But, I mean, it's such a strong foil and it's it's really nice because, once again, these are two people that shouldn't like each other, but these are two people that love each other. Yeah. Um, not a healthy love and not a love they should be having, but there is yeah. this love going on, um, and I don't even think if we want to get in more into interpretation, I don't even think it's like Philip Seymour Hoffman's character Lancaster. I don't even think that it's him just trying just to make just to make um, Freddie into his pet. I think there may be some, and I don't even think there's reckless speculation. There may be some sort of like fixer complex of I want to fix Freddy. I yeah. want to be the one to cure him. Yeah. Um I think that's what's probably processing through Lancaster, but th there's still something there. At least that's what I that's what I would like to believe. There there's also a uh parental relationship that I think is established super early on. Um a, fa a father and son vibe, and and for me, it actually happened the moment that um, that Lancaster said. But by the way, we don't even get that his name is Lancaster until the cops show up. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Good point. Everybody, uh, we should say because of course it's a cult. Everybody who speaks to Lancaster Dodd is saying the master. Aside yeah. from the police, um, there and this police may show have up been Mister Dodd or something here yeah. and there, but because like I'm, I'm, I was watching, and the police show up, and they're like, "Is there a Lancaster Dodd here?" And I'm thinking, first time viewing, like, you're like, "Who the hell is that?" You may be able to put together yeah. very quickly, like, "I was like, oh, maybe that's like Laura Dern's yeah. husband or something." I don't really know. Then I was like, "Oh my god, that's that's wild that that's right. they're finally giving me his name." Um, but um, in 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 that scene, which is close to the top of the best scenes. I haven't really thought too hard about which which scene is the best, so I, I, I can't really speak to that necessarily. But um, one of one of the best scenes, I think, um, is the like staring into each other's eyes, don't blink scene. Yeah. Um, and after that moment is over, do you remember what Philip Seymour Hoffman said specifically? The compliment that he gave specifically. You're the bravest soul I ever met. Something along those lines. Close, close. What? You're the bravest boy I ever met. And it... Oh, yeah, yeah. It hearkened me back to... Um, I, I have only been called 
the word brave um, a few times in my life personally. Uh, And every one of those times is whenever I was around the age of like five to eight. Um, Yeah. And there's something about, and I was thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot recently before I even watched the master that there, I, I can remember the very first time that I was ever told I was brave and I wasn't brave in that moment thinking back I was just like I got hurt and they were like pouring hydrogen peroxide on my cut or whatever and and they and they told me that I was brave and I started crying because that meant so much to me I was like brave me you know what I mean (laughs) um and yeah there there was something about it but now it, it, it was weird to me because him saying that he was brave and saying that he was the bravest boy um, made him made Joaquin Phoenix all of a sudden feel so much younger and so much smaller than he actually was. Oh, he felt loved for the first time in years. Right. And, and it felt, because it was those words specifically, it felt parental. It felt fatherly, um, which I thought was really cool. And, 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 and which... I think was absolutely vital whenever it came to like the Amy Adams scenes um, that, that, that from an audience perspective, we are like, Oh, I've been picking up father son vibes. Um, yeah. The, uh, Oh, oh the, the, the other, the other big thing that I just thought of, and this is kind of random. So we, we can, we can get back to the point after this. Um, whenever he comes back to see uh, uh, the master at the very end. Um, right. It was really cool to see, like, in the details that like, how much the um, how much the cult had been growing. I liked the the details of like as as the movie goes on, the cult right. grows. They never really mention it that much, but but the the cult is growing and like they're gaining more money, more popularity, and and everything. And and that was a that was a funny and interesting detail to me. Um, One thing with that, yeah. I also want to mention is that throughout the film, we see the daughter Elizabeth, yeah, um, be this sort of like devout follower of the cause, as it's called, as opposed to the son Val uh, is not. But at the end of the film, uh, in this new location in England, they have this new school. Val is the one that's there in this suit, and Elizabeth is we're told is DCF and not there, whatever that means. You're right. Whatever that means. You're so right. I, 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 I gotta say, I was sitting there thinking for a, a while because I'm not familiar with DCF. Are you? No, I think if I'm not mistaken, I, I, I briefly looked into it, but if I'm not mistaken, it is not like a term that's used in everyday nomenclature, right? It's, uh, they just made it up for this film. It's just whatever, whatever it means in this organization. I love right? that. Um, so we are just forced to interpret. Okay, so I mean, she's not here. So, but I mean, I don't can't imagine she's dead. I don't, I don't know much about where this movie came from. I'm just safely assuming that this used to be a book. This must have been a book, right? No, this was really? written and done as a screenplay, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, and oh. he took. Uh, if I'm right, he took a lot of inspiration, of course, from Scientology. And mm. that was just one of the big influences uh, that he was working with. I, I don't know much beyond that. Yeah. But, I mean, if 
if that isn't enough, then I don't know <laughs> what's gonna be for ya. Right, 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 right. Um, oh, and uh, 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 another. There were so many um, funny, funny stars in this movie that it was just like absolutely jarring to see them. Um, yeah. I think Laura Dern's such a good example. Oh, Laura Dern. It was so funny to see Laura Dern. Um, I mean, obviously, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Adams, uh, 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 Rami Malik was just there. And I was like, yeah. how are you not using Rami Malik? Um, uh, Jesse Plemons, who was, who was Val. Who was Val. He was um, the son, yeah. Yeah. Who, I, I was trying to remember where I knew him from, but I've seen him like a million times. Uh, but, he has appeared in Breaking Bad consistently. That's where I know him from the most. Uh, not entirely too sure where else he comes from. Um, I mean, he was in Game Nights and <laughs> Oh, he was in The Irishman. <laughs> also The Irishman, yes. But I just want to drop in Battleship. Battleship, the, the best movie And I wanted to remind everybody that uh, Battleship, the movie, exists. You're welcome. <laughs> And uh, you're lucky to live in a world where Battleship exists. Um, that was another thing. I was kind of shocked that uh, this movie was made in 2012 because I thought that Philip Seymour Hoffman died before that. Um, that is incorrect. Yeah. Uh, he only died a few years ago. I don't, I don't want to do this sort of reckless speculation while uh, we're doing the pod. So, but is there, oh, like... The pod. I, I want to... Yes. I want to briefly discuss... How great Joaquin Phoenix's performance is. Yeah. And I also want to mention that I really do feel that Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman's acting just, I mean, dwarfs everybody else. Yeah, it's not even uh, close. Really fast, Philip Seymour Hoffman passed in 2014. Got it. To answer that question. but So this was one of his last movies. Uh, towards the tail end of it, yes. That's sad. Um, but I, I even mm-hmm. felt that, like, so Amy Adams was nominated for, I think, Outstanding Supporting Actress um, in, you know, Academy Award. But even then, like, I only felt that the acting from Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, I was like, whoa. Because it... it I, I don't know how to articulate it, but I got a sense from so many other actors in this film of, we're acting. Hey, we're acting, and we're doing it really well. Don't get me wrong, but I am saying these lines, and I'm saying these lines really well, and don't you forget that this is not me, that I am an actor, I'm saying these words, and I am this character. Yeah, Can't you see I am big this time. character? Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to articulate that, but I felt that with everyone except... The leading two. Uh, Interesting. Even though I, I love Amy Adams' work. Uh, yeah. But she was probably the one that I felt the most with. That there was... I don't want to say it. But I'm going to say it. There was a sense of overdramatic. That yeah. I felt from a lot of these people. And maybe it is. And maybe it is. And maybe... And, and you know what? Maybe I'm stupid. There I said it. I give you ammunition. Maybe I'm stupid. <laughs> Maybe you are. Um, and like I've never, <laughs> I've never been in this sort of situation where these characters go through. So maybe this is very, very real for some other people. Um, 
but I, I felt that for so many of these characters, they just felt like characters. Yes. As opposed to people. And then, like, the only people that I felt like were going through things, of course, were uh, Freddy Quell and the Master. Yeah. The, um, the, 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 there's something to... I've been thinking about this a lot recently, especially with the with with the kiddos at school, that I see often that people, and this is something that I've noticed like the further that I've gotten in my acting education, um, that people have a very difficult time balancing how much they're supposed to be thinking and how much they're supposed to be feeling, and I know that that's not something that you necessarily pre-plan, but right. th- there is something I think to that. Um, that there is, uh, like that there, that, 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 that Amy Adams was doing a lot of feeling, but she wasn't really doing a whole lot of thinking. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that was, that was kind of bothersome. So, so that, that, that might've been where a lot of the, uh, overdramatic came from is that, uh, well, one, it was never justified. Truly. And two, every single time that I saw her doing something, I never saw her make the decision. She just started doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas that's something that I, I think I think that for Joaquin Phoenix, and we've seen him in this type of role, he 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 plays he plays train wreck really well. He of plays course. train and wreck. And like the physicality here too, both like with this sort of like hunch. And and always having his hands just kind of like yeah weirdly on his hips and this one he talks out of one side of his mouth yeah. too it all just adds right to this right, right. individual and and there um there's something that uh M- Madonna said about Nicolas Cage that I think is true about Joaquin Phoenix as well please um, tell me before Nick Cage got famous uh Madonna saw him in a like a indie movie and she. And he asked her afterwards if, if like, how she liked it and everything, because they were, like, at a rap party or whatever. And Madonna, because she was famous at Madonna at that point, um, she was like, um, she was like, the movie was shit. You were the most beautiful train wreck I've ever seen. And then she cast him as the main guy in the next movie that she was a part of, um, right. that she was producing. And now he's Nicolas Cage, which it makes sense. If you look at Nicolas Cage, you're like, that's that's a pretty apt description, and the I most feel like train wreck. yeah, and I I feel like Joaquin Phoenix is that same type of train wreck. It's just that Nicolas Cage is an atom bomb, and Joaquin Phoenix is more of a like a tiger stalking its prey. Like he's he's a little more like low key about it. Like he's a little more like strategic about it. Um, and I think that's the difference between Joaquin Phoenix's part being a load of bullshit and absolute genius is that it's always a decision and we always see him thinking it. We always see yeah. him think it first and then he does it rather than him just being like, oh, I'm a crazy man. I'm going to act like a crazy man. Um, it's, and, and that's what you're talking about between character and person, I think, is that even though we're tracking a mentally unstable man. Yeah. We see him making his decisions, whereas with whereas with uh, Amy Adams, it's just it's 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 it's, it's bullshit because um, and so much of it was her voice work for me. 
Did you feel that? I th- I think so too. I that I don't want this to be the uh, you know this Amy Adams hour. We both because love Amy Adams. Amy Adams freaking rocks. Yeah, I but but, it, but, I, but I had the similar experience uh, where I didn't I didn't <laughs> I didn't vibe with her performance yeah. as much, and I think part of it was the voice work. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would have to watch it like a third time, but like just to watch Amy Adams's performance yeah. and figure out like what is she doing that I'm not resonating with. But that's part of the reason why we're doing this show is that we can we can better figure out that vocabulary. Yeah. So, so for ourselves, th- one one thing that I thought quite a few times throughout the movie is I was like, it feels like Amy Adams is putting on a voice. And putting on this like, um, uh, I, I'm you know, I'm the wife of a leader of a cult, so I must be articulate. Kind of now vibe. Now I think about it, like maybe she was, but as I'm thinking about it, there was a sense of she wasn't breathing. No. Like she wasn't breathing no. the space, the people around her. Can I, can I tell you something? Just, I have to do this thing. I have to do this thing. Right. right? But that wasn't her character. Doing yeah. that, that was the actor not breathing. Emma Emma always makes fun of me for this. Always. Emma is? Uh, my girlfriend. Um, thank you. Um, because uh, one time I accidentally said, oh my gosh, I just realized that's what it looks like to breathe in the service of the text. Because Stan had said it at some point, and she was like, no one in all of human existence has ever said something more pretentious than what you just said. And so she says it all the time. And so just for her, I'm going to say right now that Amy Adams was absolutely 100% not breathing in the service of the text. I said it. And like I was saying earlier, like it was weird because she felt like she was putting a voice on. And the weird thing is that Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of was too. But whenever he was doing it, it felt appropriate, and it kind of made sense to me. And whenever she was doing it, I was like, "Amy, stop with the vo- just, just, j- just start with Amy. Just start with Amy Adams, and we'll go from there." Like, you know what I mean? But you know what was the funniest part about all that? The funniest part of how it relates to Amy Adams in this film is that uh, even assuming that I looked like Amy Adams. I, I couldn't I couldn't do that role. I I probably couldn't do it as no. well as Amy Adams. No. Uh, which is funny. Like it's it it was like a well acted performance, but what you and I both saw was, oh, you're scratching the surface there. There's so yeah. much more that you could do. Yeah. Um because I know the movie is not about her at all, but if it did feel like her character should have made more of a presence in the mind of the audience. Sure. And maybe maybe it was something smartly done by Paul Thomas Anderson where that wasn't the case. I don't know. Yeah. Um it also but, felt like they yeah. like they got Amy Adams to be Amy Adams. Not like just her name, but I mean like to to do her Amy Adams thing, you know? Cuz cuz she definitely did her Amy Adams thing. Um We're we're talking a lot about Amy Adams because we're just uh, once again, we're just trying to figure out I know, it's what so was going funny. On. It's not because we're dissing Amy not Adams. Not a high... Also... Uh, eventually, we're going to have to do some Amy Adams propaganda. Yeah, right, uh, right, in right. The, in the future, which I'd be more than happy to do, but uh, we were just we're just trying to examine 
this performance. We should change the name of the podcast to We Promise We Love Amy Adams, but dot, dot, dot. Um, yes. The, uh, what was I saying? Yes. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice work. I know. Thank you. It's uh, eloquence at its finest. Um, that they got Amy Adams to do the Amy Adams thing, you know? And so it, it, it's almost like um, uh, whenever they got Ian McKellen for Cats. And you're like, I'm clearly this is not fantastic, but Ian McKellen came to get paid. And you know what he did? He got paid. And Amy Adams. Walking, walk, walking, Christopher Walken in The Jungle Book. Exactly. And you're like, okay, you were picked for a specific reason. You were picked to do the Christopher Walken thing. And you did it. So d- good. Here's your paycheck. Go home. And it felt like that was a, a little bit the vibe with Amy Adams. That it was like, oh, Amy Adams doing her Amy Adams shtick where she talks all teary-eyed for like, and, and like kind of stares off in the middle distance for a while. And it looked really good. And then you move on, but it's like no, no, and and I think that what exactly what you're talking about. There's there's a there's a sense of this was not a complete performance. You were so close to something that was really stellar. Um, yeah, that just that just didn't come to fruition. I agree. Um, but to circle back super fast, once again, I know we've said it multiple times, but just the performances by Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, unbelievable, were superb, and I think. Um, to sort of wrap it up, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think this film is worth the watch alone to watch those performances. Yeah. And I mean, you see real a lot of character development in you know in Joaquin Phoenix's character, right? You like look at him for character development, and then you look at Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh character, um. As a sort of end-all, be-all catalyst to what Phoenix's character does. And so, I think that's just the real joy of this film. It's about a lot of things, as I alluded to. It's, you know, um, it can resonate with you with uh, its cultish ways. It can resonate with you looking for a sense of purpose. Or, like, the dissatisfaction of war. Uh Like, for me, it resonated with that character relationship and yeah. just on that merit alone i think this film is worth the watch and then plus that it doesn't have a heavy plot but who cares that's not the point of the film it's so very clear not the point but i think it's it better serves the movie and it better serves the character and it better serves the very small but fascinating story it is trying to tell uh, yeah, I, 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 w- I would say because you were talking about your, um, you were talking about your relationship with, uh, the movie being one of, um, the 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 foil and the relationship between, um, Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I I would say personally that for for, for me at least the film felt like a film about. Um, companionship mm. um partially because of the philip seymour hoffman stuff but but mainly the fact that like the last 60 seconds of the movie is like the last thing they leave you with is him at the very end finally having he's like having sex with a woman 
right. then it cuts back to from the very beginning of the film, him just laying down on a beach with a sand castle version of a woman. And it's like a combination of because I was looking at it this time and I couldn't tell. Like it's a combination of like he was happier in a way even though like he went back to his own back back to his own like toxic ways but it felt healthier i don't know how else to look at then, it then then Philip Seymour Hoffman for sure um yeah, but, as long but, as like, he's not killing people of this sort of self burden yeah that he had yeah uh it's just i don't know like it's interesting and, and we I and mean, we could discuss it more and just like what do we think because this movie uh in comparison to a lot of the stuff that we've witnessed this movie leaves a lot open to interpretation sure. uh when you start thinking about it more and more um because these characters are really well written because um surface level they're simple but deeply they're complex and rich and fascinating and I mean, you could just look at this for hours and you're like, wait a second. It's, I think it's something to marvel. Now, Mac. Yeah. What are we going to look at next week? Well, you know, I would, uh, I, I would, I would like to watch Barbie Nutcracker. Um, but. Wouldn't we all? Yeah. So there's a possibility we're doing that maybe. Um, but if not, uh. The, the 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 choice of mine for the next time that I have a choice to make. We're putting it on the docket. Yes. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, on the queue is uh the Queen's Gambit. Whoa. You have you heard of that? I've heard of it. I've heard of it so much, but I haven't seen it. Me, and me neither. Everyone around me has watched it except for me. And I feel like uh we're we're getting a little more into the the modern pop culture we are going to uh, we, we are starting to review more things that people have are interacting with day to day and i think that's probably the i mean that's that's number 1 on netflix so let's let's uh roast the hell out of it i mean let's give it a fair chance let's give it a fair chance roast no i'm kidding okay so queen's gambit next <laughs>